All right. Well, good morning. I'm excited to bring the word to you. We are continuing in our series in Ruth. So if you'll grab your Bibles and you will turn to Ruth uh, chapter 1. I want to start with an overview. Sanjay really set a great historical foundation for us. If you did not hear the message last week, make sure you go online or the podcast and give it a listen. So what's take, taking place in Ruth chapter 1? Uh, it starts off with Elimelech, and he is a farmer, seems to be a successful one, in Bethlehem. A famine hits. So he takes his family, his wife Naomi, and his two sons, and they go down to Moab. Now this is a, obviously a foreign land, has radical different practices, faith practices, than Israel, God's people. But there's something there, some possibility, some promise to be able to provide for his family. So he goes down to Moab. And the tragedy strikes. Elimelech dies. Naomi is left with her two sons. They marry. Oprah, not Oprah. <laughs> that rings in your head, right? Oprah and Ruth, the namesake of this book. Tragedy strikes again. The two sons die. Naomi, heartbroken, as she's in the field, hears that back home in Bethlehem that there's food. So she goes, and her daughters-in-laws, both of them, come with her. But partway, she stops, says, you know what? It is going to be much easier for you to go back to your home, to your house, uh, to your God. Because the road for a widow is a long, difficult one. And very, very difficult for an immigrant that's a widow. So you need to go back. And they wept. And they cried. And they tried to make the journey, but Naomi said, no, you, you have to. So Orpah, she goes back. But in chapter 1, verses 14, we start learning something about Ruth. Ruth, she clung to her. And she wouldn't go. Even though she knew what could lie ahead. And it's a very, very difficult situation. And so when we get into Ruth 2, we're going to watch and learn a lot about this amazing young woman by the name of Ruth. So continue in our worship and the call to read Scripture publicly. I've invited Debbie to come up and read Ruth chapter 2 to, to set the stage for us. Debbie? If you have not done so already, get your devices out, your Bible, to Ruth chapter 2, please. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. 
And she said to her, go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man, who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoke kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her, and also pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out what and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today, and where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Thank you. Amen? Amen. The Word of God. So, a difficult situation. 
for these two widows, one being an immigrant, Ruth. I've heard it said many times that adversity makes uh, cowards of us all, right? Vince Lombardi said that. But, but, but it's this, is adversity is a great revealer of character. You learn something more, I would say, about a person in hard times than in good times. And so as we look at Ruth, chapter 2, we're going to see her living out a day in the life of Ruth during a very, very difficult time. And we all know the story's good, right? Ruth is amazing. And so let's just look at a day in the life of Ruth. And what we're going to see first is Ruth walk with God. We're going to see Ruth walk with God. And this really kind of starts, we reveal something in chapter 1, verses 16. And I want to read it. It's probably the most famous verses in the book of Ruth. And it's Ruth talking to Naomi, her mother-in-law, as they're heading up to Bethlehem. Ruth says, verse 16 and 17, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. And your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. So what we see is Ruth makes a, a proclamation, a declaration of a faith that her heart has been changed. She says, my God. He, she calls him my Lord. Most likely, Ruth came to know God and started following God from her husband. Probably got exposed and then watching her mother-in-law, Naomi, and her relatives. But at some point in that time, she had a heart conversion. It changed toward Yahweh, the one true God. And then we see that she had a life change. She says, your people will be my people. I'm going to move from my family to you. I'm going to actually go with you. And they're on the way to God's people, Israel. She is leaving the practices that she knew as a little girl, the faith of the Moabites, to the faith of Yahweh and the practices of Yahweh. A radical change. A radical change. And as I was reading this story, a lot of you know my testimony, and I so identified with Ruth. Because the night I gave my life to the Lord, I called Sandy, and she says, you know, How'd it go? You know, no, no, some Christian thing that we weren't practicing Christians. And um, I said, I don't know. But what I know is everything's going to change. There's a shift in my heart, in my life. My people changed. You know, I went there and the things that I would do for fun weren't fun anymore. The people I hung out with and, and did things, it just, it wasn't satisfying anymore. My people begin to change. My passions begin to change. And even family, I mean, they thought, have you gone off your rocker? You know, I came from a family that we teased religious people, 
right? Many of you probably came from homes like that. But there's this radical change, and I so identify with Ruth. And I'm hoping that you do. As you survey your life, you think, whoa, I remember when my heart shifted. Because that's what God calls us to. He calls us in 2 Corinthians 5.17, new creation. The old is gone, he says. The new has come. He has done a work in our hearts and our lives. And ask us in Romans 12 to be transformed and changed by it. Romans 6, to walk in newness of life. Our lives are to change at the pace of God's working. Not a legalistic approach. Don't hear me wrong. But as God shapes this new heart and calls them to him, that's what we see Ruth. And what we see in Ruth chapter 2 is this amazing contrast, this change. Remember, this book is placed where it's at in the Old Testament, right next to the book of Judges for a purpose, many purposes, but one of them is to show a contrast. Because in the time of Judges, what it says about them is that everybody did what was right in their own eyes, Judges 17, 6. And the book of Judges is about a cycle of following God and then falling away and long seasons away from God. But in a general sense, the attitude of the people of Judges at the time, supposed to be God's followers, was one of doing whatever they wanted. But God calls us to be different. And the book of Ruth is an example of somebody that's different. And in a very difficult situation, God's going to show us something different. Unlike you just read through the book of Judges, if you're reading. You with me? So we're going to see Ruth and her contrast. And the first thing I want to point out is we see in Ruth is she is committed to following God. And I think it's in verse 18, chapter 1. I love what Naomi saw, she said she saw that she was determined. And so Naomi said no more, right? If you have teenage daughters, you know what it looks like to see someone determined. It's like, okay, fight over. They're just hardcore. They're, they're dug in. Ruth was going to follow her God. She was committed. And then she is noted for it throughout two, chapter 2. People seeing that she's committed with the things that she's doing. She is all in. She's put a stake in the ground, and this is my God, and I'm going to follow him regardless. No turning back. Gay set. A heart set on God. We're called to do the same. The scripture that I want to share is 1 Peter 3.15 uh, to give you just a picture of what it says in 1 Peter 3.15 that we are to set Christ apart in our hearts. What that means is to make him our sole pursuit, our sole passion, our number one priority, and then everything else, track with me, falls in behind that. So you will have other passions, you'll have other pursuits, but they are all secondary and informed by the first, by setting Christ apart in your heart. We see Ruth set God apart. We are called to set Christ apart in our heart. 
The next thing that we see Ruth do that's just different and beautiful is she consistently honors others. We see her loving God and loving others. Naomi, I love it. I think it's verse 2 in chapter 2. This adult woman goes and asks her ex-mother-in-law, can we just track with that, for permission to go work. I've got adult children. They don't ask me to do very much at all. (laughs) You know what I mean? They kind of tell me and then see if I got some money to help fund it, right? (laughs) And if you're watching, I love you guys. I'm just teasing, okay? Um, I'm joking, Uh, right? So she honors Naomi. She goes out to work and goes up to uh, just a worker, a servant, the boss of the servants. And as he's reporting back of how she approached him, she says, please, She shows these manners and kindness and honor to this worker. And then the owner of the field, Boaz, shows up, identifies, recognizes her, and says she bowed to him and called him my Lord. I mean, she doesn't know who he is right now. So many of you probably know who who Boaz, right? Well, that's coming later. She's just saying, I'm going to honor you, your position. I know you own this field, so I'm going to give you honor. She consistently honored other people. Romans 12.10 tells us to love one another with brotherly affection. I love this. And outdo one another in honoring. Honoring one another is our call. And there's times when I've seen people not honor. And I've seen times when people do honor. And one hurts my heart to watch a believer dishonor somebody. Because I think it breaks God's heart. But when someone honors somebody, your spirits are lifted. One case of somebody that really kind of hurt my heart. Um, Early ministry, I was a youth pastor. And so the town I was in, uh, made it to the playoffs in basketball, and uh, we were at a playoff game. And if you've ever been to a basketball game, it's intense, the emotions, right? The coach was one of my volunteer youth leaders, okay, the adult coach. Most of the bench were kids that were attending my youth group. And in the crowd, I was in there, and the, most of the community, right, knowing who we were, followers of Christ. Energy's up, picking up. A call doesn't quite go our way, right? Uh, the coach jumps up. Good friend of mine. He's a good man. So I tell the story. He's a good man. He's just human. You'll hear about, about his humanness in a second. Steps out to the floor. Starts uh, letting the ref know how bad of a call it was. Okay, and that's kind of like makes you feel a little uncomfortable. Then points to the other official and calls him fat. Screams it out. Everybody heard it. As a believer, my heart hurt and sank. I watched the kids on the bench that knew him as one of their Christian leaders. Their shoulders just shrunk. I saw it. I saw a Christian treating another human like that, let alone for that reason. You've been there, right? At the dinner table at a restaurant, in the passenger seat, driving down, and to watch a Christian dishonor somebody, it's such a violation of who God is and who Jesus is toward us. But luckily, we've all had times that we've been honored 
And we see what that does. And that's the lane we want to be in. We're over in the Philippines. And we're over there and we went to visit um, a coffee farm of one of the people in the church that we were helping serve. And so we're out there taking a tour of this coffee farm. And it's really small, so you know, so really small. And these little kids come running out. I'm going to say they're around the ages of four or five years old. They come running out. And we're all sitting there. I've never seen them in my life. They run up to me. They grab my hand and they pull it toward them and they put their forehead right, right here on my hand. I've never had that happen to me before. Okay. I didn't know what that was. And I watched them do it to the other adults. And the guy there who said, um, what was that? Because in our culture, that's weird. He says, oh. He didn't tell them. They just came running out and they did that. He said, they're honoring you as an elder. And it changed everything of how that whole meeting was going. I mean, the connection with the kids, the fact that they would honor and respect somebody they've never known just based on who I was, that I was an adult. But wow, we, okay. Note to if I ever parent a second trip, right? That was cool, okay? But honoring is important to God, and we need to be people who honor one another. And Ruth was somebody who honored consistently whoever she was around. It's impressive. The third thing I want to point out about her contrast is she was eager, eager to do her part. When she is being spoken of by the uh, uh, head reaper to Boaz, saying, who's this woman? And I think it's in verse 7. says, well, she's the one that came up and said, please may I glean in your field. See, here's what gleaning is. Okay, gleaning was a, a law that God gave his people and said, I want you farmers to leave some margin, the edges of your field, unharvested, so that the poor and the immigrants can come and get food. Okay, and so that's what they would do if they were being obedient. And then the poor and immigrants would come and they'd pull it and get a little, a little bit of food so that they wouldn't starve, right? So he says to Boaz, verse 7, she came, said please. She came early, been working all day, took a little rest. I mean, she jumped in. Remember, I said she asked her mother-in-law, can I go work? She was eager to step in. She knew that this was the path, this is what God provided for her, and she stepped in, eager, excited to do what God had her to do, to partner with what God was going to do. See, God wants us to be eager to partner with him because, see, when we partner with God and we do our part, what happens is we grow spiritually. Versus the opposite, sit down and say, God, you better bless me. Come on. I'm going to sit right here. And God says, I'll bless you, but I'm going to grow you too. And you're going to have to exercise this faith, and it's going to get stronger and stronger. So we see Ruth jumping into that. I love in Philippians 3 where Paul says, I press on toward the goal, the high calling of God. Meaning the, the things that Jesus Christ is doing in our life, I'm going to press on. I'm going to do my part. I'm going to, quote, unquote, work at it. The works of the Lord, the privilege is ours to say yes to it. So God wants us to be eager to do our part. And Ruth was. 
eager to do her part. But there's good news in Ruth chapter 2. Ruth was not alone. Because she had God's presence with her. See, in the book of Ruth, it's interesting, we look at God's presence with her. In the book of Ruth, you will not find a direct interaction with God. There is no, I prayed to God, he said this, or God did that. No. In fact, there's a little controversy around that element. But what you see is God is all over this book. He is everywhere. He is with Ruth. In the first way, in verse 3, we see that God is present with Ruth in his providence. In his providence. In verse 3, you'll see a word that she happened across Boaz's field. And that really isn't made to make you laugh in Scripture, like, <laughs> happened, right? Like, by chance, coincidence, she stepped into Boaz's field. And you're going to learn over the next couple of weeks, there is an incredible major plan that has an impact on you today unfolding right here. So there's no happened in this sense other than from our vantage point. So when we see God's providence, it really is his plan. Okay? What providence is, it's God in all his glory and might orchestrating everything for his will and for us to be drawn and to love him. It's basically God in control. Another picture might be this for you. It's like God setting the table for you to come in later and feast on everything he is and who he is and what he has for you. But it's him coming early and setting the table. That's what his providence is, his plans. And God has a plan for all of us. And he is working, no matter if you, in a sense, can see him or can feel him, God is at work. Um, Hebrews 13 says, that I will never leave you or forsake you. I am always with you, God says. So I don't know what you come here today bringing, but I can tell you right now, God is with you. He is for you. And Romans 8, 29 says this, he's working all things together for the good that love him. Meaning he is working around us, in us, and through us to draw us to Jesus Christ, the ultimate good, and the impact of that good in our lives. So God has a plan for you, and it's a good plan. He also provides for us, right? His providence, he provides for us. Look at Ruth here. She would have starved without the gift of gleaning. And God provides for her. Philippians tells us, chapter 4, that God will supply all of our needs. He tells us in Matthew 6, don't worry. Don't be anxious. I'm going to supply for you. I'm going to blow your mind. I'm going to blow your mind of what I'm going to provide for you. But what you need to do is have your heart set on Jesus, on his kingdom. So what's our responsibility? Is to do our part, stay focused on Jesus Christ, and he will give all that we need. He will meet all of our needs. And Ruth, in, uh, I can't remember the verse here. So I can look at it, but it's when she's coming to Naomi, probably in about verse 16, I think, or maybe 17, uh, and she's packing the barley. It's 30 to 40 pounds. I grew up on a small ranch, okay? That's not light. 
And this young woman is packing this huge bounty that God blessed her with. So did he provide needs? Oh, yeah. When Naomi saw that, I was like, whoa, okay. And we'll learn about that in a bit. So we look at God's, his providence. He is present. He has his plans for us, his provision. But also this, God is present in his protection. In his protection. In verse 12, it's the, it's the prayer of Boaz for Ruth. I just want to read that. Here's Boaz's prayer for her. The Lord repay you for what you have done. That means her conversion, her commitment to Naomi, and all the travels that she's done, that his people or her people, she is with God. So all of you done, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wing you have come to take refuge. She came to find protection from God, and God is faithful. Read Psalm 91 sometime. If you're struggling, is God with me? Is he for me? Is he protecting me? Read that chapter. It's powerful. Proverbs 18.10, powerful of his protection. God protects Ruth in three areas. First, he protects her spiritually. As we walk through this, all the way from her husband to her mother-in-law, to the field she ends up, and the reaper, uh, Boaz, these are spiritual people. And so he has surrounded her in a community of believers, people who have soft hearts for God. He also protects her physically. Boaz says, remember the boss, hey, I've told these young men not to touch you because for a woman, gleaning in the fields alone is a dangerous, dangerous thing. And I'm just kind of reading this and thinking, boy, I am a father of two girls. I can only imagine how this talk went with Boaz to these men. You touch her, I will, you know, you put the words in there, right? I get it. So I think Boaz came in and said, don't touch her. Don't touch her. So he provided physical protection. But he also did this. He protected her dignity. And this is an important thing. He protected her dignity. Gleaning was a way of protecting people's dignity. It wasn't just a handout. If they're in need, they're desperate, life is hard, here's something that you can step into and you can do and have provision. See, the dignity of the human is protected. Something very important that we protect people's dignity. He also protected her dignity but, and, and even enhanced it because he invited her to come and drink with the men, uh, a major honor. Like, whoa, okay, I'm drinking the same water the men are here, your men, and I'm an immigrant. Whoa, okay, we'll do this. Then he takes it a step further and invites her to dinner. It's their first date, and that means something later, right? And so here they come in, have dinner. God protected her dignity. And the last thing I want to point out is God was present through his people. God was present through his people. Look at all the people in chapter 2, even chapter 1, that God brought into Ruth's life, bringing his presence. You can read it through scriptures that we actually carry the presence of God with us. 
So when you believe or go to somebody and they experience something from you, you represent Jesus Christ. It could be a blessing or maybe a, a negative, but you represent Christ. And he brought Naomi and her husband, Boaz, the boss of the reapers, into her life. But he also did this. God brought Ruth into Naomi's life. She converted, started following God. And in verse 20, I believe, it, when Naomi sees her coming from a way off with that huge bag of barley, and it's really cool, because remember I said she had their first dinner date? Well, she only ate till she was satisfied. She kept the rest, and she gave it to her mother-in-law, which is another element of Ruth's character. Naomi saw her with that barley and said, whoa, hello. Where have you gleaned? And remember, Naomi, and Sanjay talked about it. Uh, the name Naomi means pleasant or sweet. She said, call me Mara. I am bitter. Life is tough. Life stinks. So this bitter Mara sees Ruth coming and she says, where did you glean? Wow, hello. She says, oh, some guy named Boaz's place. I don't know. <laughs> I know, right? Um, Naomi stops. Who? I'm ad-libbing here a little bit, okay? Um, <laughs> Boaz. There's a story here. There's something going on. And what's happened as this believer who lived differently, walked up to her. Bitterness started going away and something started rising up called hope, possibility. God's up to something. Might this end? Things are about to change. Are you kidding me? Boaz? Yeah, Boaz. Some old dude. He's awesome. You know, That's what it is. God brought Ruth into Naomi's life to bring hope. I believe this. God is bringing you into people's lives to bring hope. To bring hope. We need to be people of hope. And so we got some questions I want you to think about. The bottom there, just in contrast. And it's this. In Ruth, we see her contrast. I want you to ask these questions. In what areas of your life are you making God proud? Sometimes that's a hard question. We don't think of that. Where is God looking down at you? And if he's going to write another book of the Bible, would say, hey, look at this. Look what they're doing. Where is he proud of you? What areas of your life is God calling you higher? To say, you know what? That kind of area, you know, I got more for you. I got some more for you. I'm going to invite you to step in. Step in a little higher. I, I can do more. In our God, we see God was present with Ruth. Survey your life. Where do you see God's presence? Where can you say, right there, God is working right there. I see him. Praise him. Thank you, Lord. You're present. Where is that area in your life where you might be missing it? Things around you are winning out. All the oh no's, oh no's are winning. And you're losing sight that God 
is there. He's always there. What's he doing? So I want to invite you in that tough moment, that tough situation, to look for him. Because here's what I believe. I believe in his promises. If he says I am there, I believe he's there. I've been there. Like, whew, he seems far away. And those times what I've discovered, a lot of times I'm far away. It's me, not him. I've let worry, fear, anger, bitterness become the voices that I'm listening to. And not this God of hope. So I advise just a, a, a 30 seconds of silence. Think about those questions. invite you to stand with me. I think all times are times to, to reflect on this, but not sure if you journeyed the last three days like I have, but boy, I needed God desperately. I felt very, very inadequate for about three or four days. And God, I just, I need you. It, it might be something else for you but he's there. I want to pray over us, and I want you to stay standing for a second. I've got another thing for you. So let me pray over us. Father, you are good. Thank you for the testimony of Ruth. And then on a difficult day, she was different. She was different. And you were there with her. So thank you for the example. Thank you for the promise we have that you are present. Even when we don't see you, we don't feel you. And so, God, I pray that we'd step into that in every area of our lives. So each person, Father, I pray that you would draw them, that you would steer them towards you, draw their hearts to you. And, Father, because we've heard your word today, because we've worshiped you, uh, that we would be changed. Maybe it's in the slightest. Maybe it's just in the way we've been encouraged, but we'd be changed forever by the power of the Word of God. Jesus, we love you and we thank you. Amen. Amen. Okay, I'm about to shift gears. Hold on. Okay, so you take these home and that's your homework. You meditate on that. We had an amazing anniversary come this past Wednesday, okay? And um, there's a lot of things I hate, hate about COVID. But how we celebrate and honor changes. And that it's just, we're not going to be able to do this like we wanted. What we did for staff is we got the staff together on Zoom. And we've been doing this thing for the last couple of years that uh, I call Blessing Circle. Where some individual, whatever the thing is, and we, uh, blessing, and we just go around and we pour into what God's telling us about them and bless them. So we had the great privilege uh, to do a Blessing Circle to, uh, I'll say this, a young man who there's her 20-year anniversary as being an employee at North Shore. And that person is Damian Thompson. So I'm going to invite him up here. Uh, 
Yeah, and I think you're with me. It's like, whoo, whoo, how do we do this, right? And I'm going to tell you right now, it's going to be insufficient. Because uh, Damien, um, you heard us say it. I heard 25 people say it. Uh, and, and just what you meant to this church, uh, how you are a stabilizing factor, how you've led us, whether it was from on the worship team to leading it for lots of years, okay, to right now is leading our charge into our community and our online campus. Uh, but those are just your things. It's the who you are that is powerful and moving. We love you. We love your family. And I'm going to invite you, church. Did they do it here? Um, did we get his email up there? Aha, uh -huh, there it is. So, uh, I know, yeah, right? He, he's, I'm going to get it so he can't reach me, okay? Um, I want you to knock his socks off. There's his email right there, okay? Um, bless this man. He deserves it. He's a good man. He loves Jesus, and he's led us well. He serves us well. Um, and so, Damian Thompson, on uh, behalf of North Shore 9 o'clock service and all those online, we love you. Let me pray. Let me pray over you. And this is the gift from us to you. We love you. Let me pray. Father God, I think I say the words that you say to Damien is we love you. You love him. Father, you have been faithful to him. He's been faithful to you. And Father, he served you. Uh, he's poured faith into his family. Father, he has led us in all forms of worship. Uh, he's one of the greatest listeners I have ever experienced. His shepherd's heart is deep and consistent. And Father, I've heard him say this many times, that he loves North Shore. This is where you've called him. And he serves this church well. So Father, I pray in this difficult season that we would honor him appropriately and that he would know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we love him. We're grateful for him. We're humbled to be served by him and be shepherded by him. So I pray blessings over him, his family, and yes, I pray for another 20 years. We love you, Jesus. Amen. <laughs> that, that was painful, right? Good. I love you. God bless you. North Shore, have a blessed day and uh, Go be Jesus.